You're listening to the team Top Figure Podcast. Your one-stop shop for entrepreneurship, lifestyle, and motivation. What's up, everybody? It's your boy Top Figure Sal here, back with another podcast. It's your boy Top Figure Wisdom, and we are back. It's your boy Top Figure yeah. the Vlog Tay. And we have a special serial entrepreneur here in residence in Techstars, Sean Higgins. Awesome. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah. So, Sean, tell us a little bit about what that means, entrepreneur in residence at Techstars. Yeah, so there's two parts. The first part is Techstars. So Techstars is the global network that helps entrepreneurs succeed. So we've got over 20 uh, programs that operate globally, and each program picks uh, 10 companies every year to work with them. We connect you with mentors and other resources designed to help you take your company to the next level. My role in the program is all about trying to find those next wave of companies. Wow, awesome, awesome, awesome. So we have a lot, a lot, a lot of uh, aspiring entrepreneurs and people really trying to be entrepreneurs. What are a few tips that you'd recommend to start the entrepreneurship journey? And uh, people don't understand how tough it is really once you start. So what are a few tips that you would recommend to start your journey and take the leap? Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I'd say first and foremost, you know, get plugged into your community. So wherever you're based, there's usually either a startup weekend, startup week, different events that you can go to, to meet other folks that are thinking about taking that jump. And so just kind of, you know, right off the bat, you're not alone in this, right? There's a lot of folks doing entrepreneurial things in your community, find them, pick their brain, figure out how they're, how they're handling all of those different pieces. On top of that, when I was getting started, there are a few you know, blogs and resources that I always liked. Uh, you know, Saster blog by Jason Lemkin has a ton of great content. Both Sides of the Table by Mark Suster is really good as well. So if you're looking for some inspiration and you, you like to read or you've got an Audible account, you can check those guys out as well. Okay, awesome. All right, so one thing, Sean, we noticed is that you, know, you, run, you operate a lot of different companies and you know, you're a serial entrepreneur. How do you balance that work life you know and and i know techstars also requires you to read a lot of applications look over a lot of things so it's just a lot on your plate how do you really really actually balance work-life balance at that stage yeah for sure so i'm going to take maybe the first part of the question which is kind of on how do you as a founder find that balance this is actually something i was very bad at uh, going in so i'd find myself waking up in the morning and the first thing i would do is grab my phone and check my email to see if I had customers that had reached out to me. Very much in line with like that, that FOMO, that fear of missing out. Oh, what if, what if I needed to get back to somebody in the UK right now at six in the morning? And you know what I eventually learned was that if you're not taking time for you, you're gonna be in a worse spot productively the rest of the day. And so I changed my morning routine. I'm huge into morning routines. <laughs> and so now when I wake up, instead of reaching my, for my phone right away and checking my email and doing all those things, um, as a founder, what I'd recommend doing is I read for 10 minutes. I just pick a book and I get through a book. I do some random like brain games on my phone. I use Lumosity. And so just like make sure you're taking time for you. Like write a blog post if you want to do that stuff. Because if you're not, like you're going to you're going to feel it at the end of the day and be burnt out. Uh, with regards to Techstars, you know, work-life balance is really good. I think Techstars is definitely a group that kind of gets that there's a lot going on. They're working with a lot of um, you know busy folks, and so that's it's been pretty manageable. Um, but what I will say is just definitely make sure you're carving out time every single day for you. If you want to spend more time with your family or your girlfriend or whatever, just carve out some time to make sure that you're you're doing it. 
that's that's awesome that's awesome so is there a few things that you do that help you like during your routine yeah i would say you know like kind of some of the things that you touched up on like you know checking your emails one thing that oh my god i do every single day as far as like i would do like check it five six times a day and that's like that's not good so what i did is you know i um you know what i did is i created a task list that's one thing that really helped me you know the most important things as soon as i wake up just focus on what are the most important things i'm going to do throughout the day that's it and really just you know uh look at that and then at the end of the day come back to that and see hey did I meet those, you know, uh, did, was I able to fulfill those things? And incorporating some of those things, like such as personal time, you know, spending time with family, spending time with, you know, uh, your girlfriend, what these kind of things really put, you know, putting putting those in that to-do list in the, in the morning and coming back to that and saying, hey, then you can track that total progress. That's one thing that really helped me out in nice. that to-do list in the morning. Yeah, I would definitely recommend, you know, like you said, you you um you found like a ritual in the morning. Yep. So it's everything you do and you built a habit. Right. And I was actually reading a book, I don't know if you heard uh The Power of Habits. Oh, I don't know this one. No. Oh, it's it's a great book. So it pretty much is a guy who um is explaining like how powerful a habit really is. And so your brain can't depict like from a good habit to a bad habit. And so like one of the tests they did was uh rats. So they used rats and if they took a left, they get chocolate. If they took a right, they get nothing. And so they track the brain activity to see like how much they use their brain nice. to find the chocolate. Right. So constantly they did it, and the more they did, the less brain activity they used. So like it was perfect what you said. You said you get less burnt out because you're used to it. You've done it multiple times. Your brain barely used activity, so you're good. And um, then at the the third trial, they uh they actually poison the chocolate oh, and no. they they actually uh put electricity yeah they put electricity on the ground and it and the rats even though that they knew that it was bad the the powerful the habit was so powerful that they still went to the chocolate no matter what and they knew it that's how powerful the habit is so it, it, it it's a blessing and a curse to have a good habit versus this, a bad like, habit feel good story on the rats and now it's just like it's i'm gonna be sad i'm gonna go home and watch ratatouille and i'm just gonna cry of these poor rats no one one thing that really helped me out and i find helpful is i like to meditate in the morning like five yeah, to ten calm, minutes yeah. it's, it's, it's the app is called calm app yeah. really really helpful takes care of everything like you wake up you meditate for like five minutes minimum and then like you're fresh th throughout the whole day so i think that's something really powerful um another thing we wanted to get into so tell us a little bit more since you're heavily involved in the startup scene tell us a little bit more about the startup scene here in minneapolis and how is remarkably growing and how people could get involved to really support it or be a part of it yeah, absolutely. It's a great question. You know, I think the scene here, it, it's come such a long ways. Mm -hmm. So I've had a chance to, you know, be a part of it for the last four or five years. And even over that time, just the, the amount of involvement from folks in the angel investor community, from folks on the event side, people like beta.mn who host their showcases twice a year. There are just a lot of opportunities if you're interested to just get plugged into the scene, meet people that are working on real businesses, you know, high growth software, tech businesses. And the, the ecosystem around it has been unreal. You know, you get like the co-working side of it with folks like WeWork and uh, Fueled Collective, formerly known as Coco, 
all the way down to what they're doing with uh, the Osborne building in St. Paul, and you get just a lot of momentum. Those types of spaces bring in you know, startups, create kind of an environment where you can work with people you know, like-minded, trying to create, create a really good environment, work on good products, solve big problems. And that, in turn, kind of just keeps that flywheel moving faster and faster and faster. And so you, you've definitely seen it start to pick up, even like on the investment side, which yeah. is what, what folks sometimes would complain about. I mean, there are a lot of really cool you know, funds out there, whether they're micro VCs like Syndicate Fund or Matchstick Ventures or folks that are on the, the bigger side, like Arthur Ventures, who have been around for a while. There's a lot of, a lot of movement happening on that side. And a lot, and I'm glad you brought up the investment side. A lot of people think they always need investments when their companies start. What do you really think is the is the best way to go about that? Because some people might not need an investor at all. Because once you take someone's money, it's a whole different category. Yeah, it's interesting. I actually had this conversation today with a founder. So uh, she asked me, you know, how much should she be raising? Should she be thinking about raising? And at the end of the day, it depends on your objective, right? Mm -hmm. Do you want to create a business that's going to be like super high velocity? Do you need to get to market now and have everybody know your name in the next year and a half or two years? Or are you looking to create, you know, there's options to create kind of that lifestyle business that has that nice, you know, passive income or whether you've got, you know, somewhere in between or you're trying to create maybe that long-term growth play. I think that's the first step is figuring out like what do you want to get out of the business and then from there you know there's a lot of options so if 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 you want if you say hey you know we've got a little bit of time here we don't need to raise a bunch of money you're probably better off putting some money in yourself you know going all in on your business and then getting some early traction because from there you'd have a better shot of raising financing you'll attract a much broader pool of investors you know when you first launch a company it's pretty much your friends and your family because they they know who you are and they know your track record and if you haven't done a lot of work on your company other investors can't really see that execution but once you you know put some financing into your the business yourself you go bootstrap you go lean you get some inertial traction suddenly folks are seeing a data point several data points and they go wow right these guys they're delivering they're executing they've got customers they've got revenue they've got you know pre-revenue signups whatever it is whatever your metrics are they can see that you're out there hustling and making making things move, and that's that's so important in early days. Awesome, awesome, awesome. All right, so Sean, we talked about kind of you know like the work life balance, and we also talked about you know how to start a, you know like the business and you know where to raise funds and the Minnesota tech scene. Uh, one thing that you know we get a question a lot from our audience is you know college college is one big thing that you know that people are going to school or some people have an idea of what they want to go to school for they have a business what's the best way to really you know um how did how did college fit in your life in your business in your situation and how did you leverage that and do you and do you think that it's a uh that it helped you a lot a lot in your venture or why not? So. Yeah, for sure. So, so when it comes to college, so we were doing ILOs uh, when I was getting my MBA, and there were a few things that definitely did help us just in my particular situation. And not that that situation is the same one that everybody will be facing, but for me, I mean, it was some classes, like negotiations class. I did not have a ton of experience in wheeling and dealing, but that gave me a lot of actual exposure. I had 20 other people in the class. Every day you would come in and you would do a different like negotiation case. And you would like walk out of your the the case with like what you got, what your what was your deal, what did you get, what did you negotiate, 
and that gave me just a ton of at bats with other professionals figuring out how to how to you know move the needle to to create that win-win. That was huge. I think also uh, you know the communications class, being able to go up on stage and, and nail a presentation. That's something that I, I grew a ton in through school. I will say like some of the most valuable parts of college, it's definitely network. You know, who do you meet? You know, I met, uh, you know, several founders, actually everyone, all three of the founders at Islas are folks that I knew through school. Peter was high school, Nick was undergrad. And so like that can be really helpful, that networking element, meeting other folks. So if you feel like you don't have a really strong network, if you're in a spot where, you know, like where I was, where you just need more experience in certain areas before you can really like go out and do it, I think college is a great route. Um, you know, there also are, there's a lot of talk, right, about uh, boot camps and, you know, on the developer side. And that one's tough. Like, I, you know, I, I don't want get, to get, get in trouble here too much by <laughs> saying you, know, you shouldn't do college or anything yeah, like yeah. that. And it's seven hours I'm saying. But, you know, in certain... Of your situation. Yeah, in my situation, college was super helpful. I met actually this guy. I met him at an airport. He was a developer. And he was 16. He was working on this Minecraft game. And we had the same computer. So I got to talking with him. <laughs> and it was amazing. What he had developed at 16, it was unreal. And now flash forward two years, he's 18 and he's looking at going to school, this little tiny school in Utah, but he's got, you know, he's got a portfolio of projects that he's working on, stuff that he's developed. And his code is at a level where it's good enough to basically get an entry level job. And if that's your situation, that's a much harder call, yeah. right? You know, should I, should I be trying to do this or should I be trying to enroll in an entry level role at Google? I think it depends. Honestly, it depends on what, what you're gonna try to get out of it. But college has always kind of been an it depends answer, right? Like it depends on if, if you're pursuing a career that requires a degree or not, or are you gonna be in a position to really make the most out of the degree? Because you have people who will you know, take a great situation and then not do anything with it, but then you have other folks that are willing to just get hungry and, and scrap tooth and nail and make the best out of wherever they find themselves. And so I think if you're able to take advantage, it can be a good springboard. Awesome, awesome. I'm glad you said that. And uh, you mentioned some, something about a negotiation class. Yeah. Now, a lot of people struggle with sales. Yep. Sales is a big one. What, what are some things that really helped you out? And obviously, you did a lot in sales, and you, you had to dedicate a lot of time towards sales. So what are some things that you found really worked for you and some things that didn't work out for you? Because you, you don't want to oversell someone, but then, yeah. again, you also got to be aggressive. What are some tips and key points that worked for you in the world of sales? Yeah, so I think the first step with sales is almost always the hardest. It's easy to make something. Mm -hmm. It's very hard to show it to people. Yeah. Because there's this fear that people aren't going to like what you did. Yeah. And you have to get over that quickly. Like, whatever it is. Because it's very real. You may, I don't want anyone to say this is bad or this is dumb or this is stupid. And actually, that's what you need. You need people to tell you that this is bad, this is dumb, this yeah, is stupid. Sure. But you need them to tell you why it's bad and dumb and stupid. Yeah. And, and so I, my, my biggest thing is it always looks good on the whiteboard, right? You can draw something up and it'll look perfect. But the customer decides what's right, right and what's wrong. So you need to talk to them. That, that's the hugest thing. Uh, from there, you know, after you're having conversations with your customers, you want to think about, you know, a number of things. You mentioned kind of oversell, under deliver. One is you always want to be honest with your customer. Tell them where it's at, tell them where it's going. But then you also want to be honest with yourself. Like, especially early days, there's, there's two things that a founder really needs to be able to do. Um, you know, you need to be able to, to one, always believe that you can make it, no matter how hard it gets, no matter where the roller coaster takes you, even if you feel like you're a free fall, always believe that you can make it. But the second thing you need to be able to do is always confront the most difficult parts of your reality. So just be honest with yourself, right? If you're selling to a certain customer group and they don't like what you're doing, 
that's okay, take note of that, all right? Maybe you need to try a different title in that industry. Maybe you need to target a different industry. Maybe you need a different use case, you know? Just keep iterating and eventually you'll find that, that mix where you've got some pieces that, that work out for you. Awesome, awesome. And that, that's always a big part. But like, talk about a little bit about once your price point, like how you should stick with your own price point and not really, oh, for you will do this much, but then you will do that much. How important is it to really stick with just one strict price point? Because if you sell something to Devante for 30 bucks and he tells me about it and... Yeah, and 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 you sell it to me for six bucks. I'm gonna come back. I'm gonna be really upset. So how important is it to really just stick firm on your price point? So that assumes you guys can talk to each other, right? <laughs> if you can't talk to each other, everyone's getting a different price. Um, yeah. But I will say that you know when it comes to pricing, and this is, you can actually do this. Uh, sign up for a free trial of any B two B software. Pretend you're a business. Yeah. I know we just said always be honest, but that's with your customers <laughs> and with yourself, not necessarily always with your vendors. Um, but basically, like sign up, pretend you're a business, uh, do the demo with somebody, and then when they tell you how much their product costs, don't say anything. Literally, go one, like count to thirty. We won't do that here. But uh-huh. count to thirty, and then see what they do. If they're a new sales rep, they will drop price. They will go, oh, it was $1,000. And then you give them the silent treatment, actually $800. And that's how you know, like, okay, this is a newer rep. They're, they're moving with price. They haven't even heard anything from me. Yeah. And so it's okay to move price. Like it's, it should never be your first instinct. It can be okay. Like they, if someone comes to me and says, Sean, we won the deal, we had to give them a lower price. That's fine. But that shouldn't be your first instinct. You should say, you know, how does that look? Does that fit within your budget? And then you're talking to them about you know, what they have available. You're talking to them about the features they need, the benefits they're gonna see from it. And price is really that last resort. Where yeah, we, can, we could maybe drop it 10% or 15%. But to your point, you don't wanna make that widely known. If you're doing enterprise sales, everyone kind of expects to get a custom price. If your pricing's up on the website and you're quoting different rates than that, and you're quoting worse rates than that, yeah. you, look, you look terrible. terrible. So that's not a good way to go. Yeah. <laughs> to kind of uh, wrap this whole thing up about closing a deal like that intense moment when you're ready to close what go, what runs through your mind and what are some tips that really work for you to finalize a deal and get the paper signed and move on because that's a big part yeah it's it's very uh, it's very cliche but I think throughout your entire sales process you want to always be thinking about the close right you know they got Glenn Gary Glenn Ross always yeah. be closing right but what does that mean for, for me that means that when you're in that initial call or in that initial demo, you're scoping out what it takes to win the deal. So Bob, you know, I understand that we're having a good trial here today. What, what does that next step look like? Oh, we need to get people in the app to try it out, make sure that we have, you know, something people will use, great. And assuming that goes well, you know, are we gonna need to run it by someone in finance to get budget approval, is there a legal team? You're just essentially mapping out the whole buying process and seeing what it takes to move from one stage to the next. And then at the end of it all, you're saying, okay, great. So assuming we're able to clear these hurdles, this sounds like something we're moving forward with. We were interested in moving forward with, is that fair? And then they'll say, oh yeah, like we'd be very interested. We just wanna make sure we have good feedback from our users. It clears legal and vendor management, and then we get the budget. And then bingo, bango, bongo. Suddenly you've got all the four steps you need to win the deal. So then it's all up to you. You just get them in the trial, show them that they're having a good time. Chat with the vendor manager people, chat with legal, <laughs> chat with, and there you go. You, you've got like the, they've given you the playbook the to win, to win the deal. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yep. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's really awesome. So yeah, pretty much that wraps up our episode of 
the podcast, the yeah. key cast, actually. Key cast. We call it the key, key cast because we provide so many keys. And also, we just want to give, give a huge thank to Sean for coming out today, sharing his amazing knowledge. Uh, yeah, if you want to tell the audience your socials, where they could find you, where they could follow you, if they want to email you, all that, you want to say all that? Yeah, so the best way to get a hold of me is actually through Twitter. So I'm at uh, Higg, H-I-G-G, 1921. Okay, awesome. So there you have it, guys. This was another KeyCast, and thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. <laughs> have a good one.